The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of that host who might plan on killing and eating tonight after the show. This show contains strong language, please be advised. In fact, I should eat all these fuckers in here. Here we are again, kitties, for another much-needed ear injection of open-air sonar. And according to the Ramones from Rock and Roll High School, definitely not for your pet rats. So keep them away from the stereo, okay? So uh, before we get into the show, I, I did want to read you an email that I got from Glenn in Washington State. And, you know, just so you know, here at Open Air Sonar, we receive good and bad emails, you know, and I try to get to them all. So anyway, Glenn goes to write, I liked your show on your trip through metal. What I did not like was the way you referred to Metallica, painting them as sellouts. They are my favorite band, but I guess I cannot expect anything else from some liberal asshat from California. Fuck you, signed Glenn. All right, Glenn, so first off, I guess you didn't even listen to the disclaimer in the first of the show. It says, my opinions. You got it? And second, what does my political affiliation have to do with the way I see or interpret the music that I like and listen to? Absolutely nothing. So I think you're just bored, brother. Uh, Maybe it's because you no longer have your golden calf to worship. So stop huffing rubber cement, brother, and keep your goddamn politics off my show. Uh, You know, with that kind of attitude, man, maybe we might hire you for the next disclaimer, you know. So, uh... Anyway, take care, Glenn, and, you know, get some anger management, bro, because I think you fucking need it. So, uh, anyway, back to the show. So, we're going to start off with M-U-S-I-C-K, or how it's portrayed in the music press, the world of post-punk. Yes, boys and girls, we are going to dive into the bands that brought us what real rock feels like. The smell, the taste, the size. You know, in the late 70s, I think these bands were abandoning, the, you know, the raw simplicity of the punk movement for a more, uh, you know, avant-garde feel. But still, you know, it kept the raw energy of, you know, punk rock. So to start off, I'm going to play you a song from a band called Warsaw, who actually ended up changing their name to, yes, you got it, ladies and gentlemen, Joy Division. So this is Warsaw with The Drawback. Stick with us. This is Open Air Sonar. I've seen the products and the other world away. I've 
That was the 1977 release, The Drawback, by the band Warsaw, who actually wound up eventually becoming Joy Division. Uh, sorry about the pops and cracks, folks, but I took that song from one of my record. I'm definitely in need of new cartridges. But uh, anyway, those boys were the true pioneers of the, you know, the post-punk movement, you know, the... And, you know, even Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks once suggested that their name be Stiff Kittens. But the band settled on Warsaw, you know, a veiled reference to the David Bowie song Warzawa. But to avoid confusion with the London-based punk band Warsaw Pact, they changed their name to Joy Division. And if you were listening to the first episode of Opener Sonar, we all know where that name came from. Anyway, moving on. So, uh, this next band... Another band from London uh, were considered to be the definite art punk with their 1977 release of Pink Flag, you know, a staple of, you know, post-punk. But So this is X-Lion Tamer, and you are listening to Open Air Sonar. Stick with us. We'll talk about it when we come back. So the first time, you know, I actually came across this band Wire, you know, I was in uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, and it goes, you know, it was around 91, I think. And I went to this club. I think at the time it was called Confetti, but I can't be sure. It was a really long time ago. But, uh, you know, when you walked into this place, or at least up to it, you know, the smell of clove cigarettes just, like, burned your eyeballs, man. It lingered. But uh, 
the goth movement was heavy in there, man. And God, you know, goth women always were like the most beautiful women in the world to me. I don't know what, but anyway, you know, I'm they're playing this killer music in there, man. Everyone's dancing, everyone's having a good time, you know. And I I love that place. Anyway, anyone from Salt Lake City, let me know if that place is still there. But uh, you know, they're playing great stuff in there, like Susie and the Banshees, you know, to our next band that I have for you, ladies and gentlemen. Please stand up and give a round of applause. I give you the Sisters of Mercy uh, from Far Away Leeds. So Gary Max and Andrew Eldritch, uh, they had this strong desire to hear themselves on the radio, you know. And, and on that day, the sisters were born. So here is the Sisters of Mercy with, the corro- with this corrosion from their 1987 release of Floodland. Come back and we will pull apart the mangled web of the Sisters of Mercy. This is Open Air Sonar. Yeah. 
So the sisters, you know, took their name from the 1971 film uh, Macabre and Miss Miller, which featured the Leonard Cohen song Sisters of Mercy, uh, because they stated, you know, calling ourselves Captain of Industry wouldn't have been as funny. Although a great band, you know, they had a lot of problems. First with their label, you know, East West Records, with whom they protested against, you know, they wanted out of their contract and, uh, and then, you know, eventually let go. And then a dispute between Marx and El- Eldritch and, uh, you know, with Eldritch starting another band called The Sisterhood. Uh, so in the end, you know, they ceased recording in the early 90s. And, uh, you know, mainly just a tour act now, you know, playing those same old songs. But overall, you know, I've always loved the Sisters of Mercy. But uh, don't get me wrong, guys. So please, by all means, make another goddamn album and stop the silliness. But anyway, on to our fourth band before the break, ladies and gentlemen. So this next song I'm going to play for you, it's, oh, excuse me, oh, my God, is not the most politically correct song. But, hey, you know, it's got heart, you know, and. Uh, I guess if it would have came out on the radio nowadays, we'd probably, you know, it, it would have probably been protested against. But anyway, so here is The Cure with Killing an Arab from their Standing on the Beach singles. Enjoy.
so uh, you know, Killing an Arab uh, is actually the first single by The Cure, uh, you know, recorded at the same time as their first LP in the UK, Three Imaginary Boys, from 1979, but not included on the album. However, it was included on the band's first U.S. album, Boys Don't Cry, in 1980. Um, Robert Smith had said that the song was a short poetic attempt at conde- condensing my impression of key moments in the 1942 novel The Stranger by Albert Cummins. The lyrics describe a shooting on a beach, you know, in which the Arab of the title is killed by the song's narrator. Uh, in Camus's story, the protagonist, uh, Mersault, shoots an Arab on the beach. Overwhelmed by his surroundings, Mersault is condemned for his honesty about his feelings. Uh, you know, he's considered an outsider or stranger. Because he refuses to lie and doesn't play the game. But, you know, upon release, you know, uh, Melody Maker compared the song to Hong Kong Garden by Susie and the Banshees. But, uh, you know, Arabs conjure up ugly, you know, edginess through a Moorish flavor guitar pattern. But uh, the track did cause controversy, you know, uh, since it was has been, you know, widely viewed as promoting violence against Arabs in the U.S. Uh, the first compilation of the single Standing on a Beach was packaged with a sticker advising against racist usage of the song after a student DJ on WPRB Princeton provided an exaggerated talk-up prior to playing the record in October of 1986. So, you know, Smith and Electra requested that the radio stations discontinue airing the song and saw the sticker as a compromise, you know, to prevent, you know, having to pull the album from sale entirely. But, uh, you know, it saw controversy again during the Persian Gulf War and following the September 11th attacks. You know, Killing an Arab was the only single from the Three Imaginary Boys era not to be included on the album's 2004 remaster. But, you know, it was a great song. Um, <laughs> and actually, in 2005, uh, the song was revived, but uh, Robert Smith, instead of... He changed the lyric from Killing an Arab to Kissing an Arab. But uh, he, he added a whole new opening verse when the band performed, you know, at the Royal Albert Hall in London on April 1st, 2006. But... Anyway, say la vie. I've always liked The Cure, but like they said in, you know, uh, what was that dumb movie, uh, Nick and Nora's Playlist, you know, she asked, you know, what are they the curing? But anyway, that's one of those dumbass questions. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and take a break right now and listen to some fucked up ads from the past, the future, the present, who the fuck knows. But please, by all means, stick with me because we still got a lot of ground to cover in this world of post-punk. So don't go anywhere. This is Open Air Sonar. I am Tony. And hey, what else you got to do on a Saturday night? Come back. Lemons? Oh yes, real lemon tastes just like real fresh lemons. Very good, very easy to use. You can use real lemon wherever you use fresh lemons. In cooking and baking, oh many places. Can even use to make nice lemon pie. That's lemon. Yes, lemon. Try real lemon wherever you use fresh lemons. Play the provincial, it's fabulous fun. You love the 
some surprises every week to be won. Our five dollar chicken, and it's good for five draws. Friday could be your day, good luck could go your way. Play the provincial, the weekly provincial. Yes, sir. Five hundred thousand is the weekly grand prize. Instant prizes, up to five grand inside. So when you need a ticket, better get one today. For the provincial lottery. You don't need a crystal ball to know that a guaranteed $1,000 a month for life would let you enjoy some of the things you've always wanted to do. Buy a Cash for Life lottery ticket. You could win $1,500 or $250 a month for life or one of more than 16,000 cash prizes. For $2, you get a chance for a lifetime of security. It's the Cash for Life lottery. Support the Ontario Association for the Mentally Retarded and win for life. This is Paul Nathan at the Arts, Crafts, Hobbies Building and Exhibition Place. For the last time this year, 48 of Montreal and Toronto's leading fur manufacturers are assembling their entire collections for the largest end-of-season fur clearance ever held. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of designer furs, including such prestigious names as Lawman, Canada Majestic, and Black Lama. This luxurious mink coat worth $3,200 at Exhibition Place, only $595 for on-the-spot financing and wear at home for just $55 a month. February the 14th to 17th in the Arts, Crafts, Hobbies Building at Exhibition Place. Promotional consideration provided by Totes. When the weather turns bad, turn to Totes. Rain rolls right off. Totes hats and caps that you can take along anywhere to stay warm and dry. Thanks very much. Good night. When my husband came home and I told him there was less than 30 minutes until delivery, he looked faint. Man, when I told him we were having twins, he did. Oh. Come on, pizza, pizza, darling. Pizza, pizza, twins, just the way you like them. You know, having a husband is almost like having a baby. <laughs> pizza, pizza, 967-1111, still the one. From the early days of color TV, the challenge was to get the world's best color. Now, Toshiba brings you the world's first flat square picture tube, the FST Black Stripe. Only from Toshiba. Colors up to 18% more accurate than conventional tubes. So reliable, the FST has the longest comprehensive warranty in Canada. 50 months. Add our top-rated VCR, the BM32, for color that sings. Toshiba. Boy, you should have had a throw party. Well, it's on the wrist. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Open Air Sonar. We are halfway through our journey of what the fuck's sake is that goddamn song from post-punk. Anyway, okay boys and girls, I have a treat for you, okay, so keep one hand free. A very special guest with us today, the lovely, the talented, the proprietor of Six Degrees of a Belly Dancer, 
Miss Shasha. How are we doing, girl? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yes, so, I love you. Um, anyway, uh, we've been, you know, jabbing about post-punk. And I remember when you first came to Carbon High School, you, uh, I swear to God, I was like, oh, my God, it's Susie. Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees, man. I could not believe it. Oh, my it. gosh, really? I, you know, with your hair and, you know, the really dark makeup, you know, it was fucking mm -hmm. rad. But anyway, um, why don't you go ahead and tell these fucking nerds what our next song is going to be? Sure. Yep. It is going to be Susie and the Banshees, Spellbound, from the 1981 release, Juju. All right, all right, all right. You guys stick around with me, okay? Because when we come back, me and Sasha are going to tear this song apart. All right, you're listening to Open Air Sonar. From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice that sends spinning. You have no choice. Choice you hear. 
All right, everybody, that was Susie and the Banshees with Spellbrown from their 1981 release, Juju. And we are here with my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, Miss Shasha Santa-Stevon from Six Degrees of a Belly Dancer. How you doing, kid? You know what? I tried to Hi. warn you. You know, I, I tried to tell her, you know, get her shit and go, man, because my listeners can be vile. So. Oh, I and- thought you were going to say you were warning your <laughs> listeners about me. I was. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to save you Other from way around. them. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm trying to save you from them, man. They're fucking crazy. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, she stuck around, guys, and she's she's gonna she's gonna duke it out with me on this next song here. So, uh, Susie and the Banshees, uh, you know, uh, Spellbound. I mean, I think you know, with Kaleidoscope and everything, you know, they were still considered pretty punk. And you know, they with Juju, they kind of came into their own, especially with this post-punk phase and and looking at music in a more darker aspect. Um, but the one thing that I, you know that I think really mm-hmm. you know hit it off for them, you know, especially to get away from that punk was that, you know, sonic experiment that they did. And mainly Susie Sue's style, I think, sold it for her, man. I well, really do. I think when when I started really listening to Susie, she had like matured from that punk stage. And I was right. kind of more in more of her earlier, more wild stuff. And I didn't listen too much of her newer stuff because she was kind of like a, a, a female Robert Smith sort of thing. Right, right, right. I, my friend turned me on to that, but I, I feel like I missed out on that. I really like it when in a band that like, ex, like starts to explore and matures and starts to get a little right. better, maybe. But, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think it really, like when she came out, she really showed, you know, a whole generation of people, especially women in particular, that, hey, you can look like this and still be cool as fuck, you know? I oh, mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, when, when I first met you, when you came to our high school, you know, and you had the hair, and you know, like half of your head shaved, you know, all the dark makeup, man, I, I fucking loved it. I was like, oh, my God, I got to be friends first with thought her. went there, and that's, that's, that's really ironic because I really didn't listen to her. No? And, you know, I was like, I was... I was a teenager who was angry, full of chaos. I liked more of your the industrial, right. harder, faster. That's why I feel like I missed out with Susie because I think I was wasn't even listening to that music when she was at that stage. But when I did listen to her, she was starting. You know, I I'm a big fan of AFI. Ah, uh, okay. And I I feel like I grew with them and. You know, you they get matured and definitely a different change in the music. Right. Sometimes they have to like listen to it a few times to get used to it. And right. I feel like they they were at the stage where she was like, you know, like Peter Murphy. Oh, dude, definitely. Bauhaus, I mean, you know, he right. they get, with the cuts you up. I mean, that's not like Bauhaus. He like kind of matured and started getting a little bit more emotional. I mean, right. Yeah, he was emotional. Right, know? right. I don't know. Maybe but, maybe yeah, Bauhaus was me. trying to rip off Sisters of Mercy. I don't know, but <laughs> I love Sisters of Mercy. Doesn't everybody? Well, but yeah, they do. And, and, well, then yeah, you should you should jo- you, you oh. know what you should have joined me for my Sisters of Mercy in on the first half. They what? are gonna be uh, they yeah, dude. We I can't I wait did, to hear. Uh, hear yeah, it, I, the song I picked is great. I, I did talk about I the can't sisters. Wait to hear and, which one um, picked. Yeah, they just they just irritated me so bad, you know. They like, did. They yeah, well, because you know they come out with three great albums, and then <laughs> the two main guys get into a fight. They split up, oh, and then they say, okay, there's no more Sisters of Mercy. Blech. You know, oh, we're yeah. Done. Well, we're done, you know. And then... <laughs> but... That's the love. I mean, that's right. like 
They're, and now, and you know, now they just tour. They just tour. They don't make any albums. They just tour and play those same hashed ass songs oh, over and over. So it's you know, sounds like a lot of bands <laughs> that go around. Right, right, touring. right. <laughs> but, you know, and and I really loved this album in particular, especially Spellbound uh, from Susie, because you know it was the first you know real true album with John McGeech. You know the. And, you know, the mm -hmm. guy who played for uh, the Buzzcocks, he left the oh. Buzzcocks and went to Susie and the Banshees. He played for Magazine. He played oh, for PIL. God. And, you know, he mm -hmm. was just a really interesting guy. And actually, most of the information I've been able to find on him is, like, nil. I mean, the, he died what, in 2004, he, is he the, you know. Is he the is he the creativeness behind the band? Is he the he, songwriter? He, well, He's, no, he was the guitarist, but he was, he was does really... Does he the songs? Yeah, he was really innovative in the way he played his guitar and the way that he made his guitar make sounds like he would take some of his foot pedals and you know oh. attach them to his microphone so he could work them by hand while he's playing you know and we all, we love that stuff right right so uh, yeah he was a really mysterious guy he died in his sleep in 2004 at the age of 48 really but, uh, yeah, in his played, sleep. yeah, and well, they he did still not yeah, yeah, right. Well, his family still won't release, you know, release the reason why he died. But he was Maybe, a pretty yeah, heavy he alcoholic. Was. You know, he, he was, you know, he, he mm. did all kinds of nasty stuff. But <laughs> anyway, Sasha, I want to thank you for joining us today thank for my you. OAS, and I know my listeners are glued ooey bluey to my their stereos right now just waiting for your last oh, words yeah. so i'm sure your <laughs> listeners love your show i love your show we right. can't wait to hear what you're gonna play next out of all of the choices you have we're like what will he pick awesome well <laughs> you know what i'm gonna go ahead and let you pick the this next song that we've got coming up and okay. then you can say goodbye to my listeners and we okay. will talk again so what is that song um how about how about Bauhaus with bella lugosi's dead Oh, one of my favorites. One of my favorites. I can't wait. All right, guys. This is Open Air Sonar. We've been chatting with Shasha from Six Degrees of a Belly Dancer. Bye-bye. This is Bauhaus with Bella Lugosi's Dead. I'm dead.
white on white, translucent like capes back on the rack. The goose is dead, the bats have left the bell tower, the victims have been bled, red velvet lines, the black box. Hello, the goose is dead.
That was the 1979 release of Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus. Uh, it was actually released August 6th of 79. And actually, uh, is what's really cool about that song is they actually did it in a single take during a six-hour session at Beck Studios. Um, it was the first thing that they recorded together as a band. And, you know, I mean, it, it pretty much defined what goth music is is about you know it's roundly established by goth historians as the first true record in the genre for comparison's sake uh, goth icons the cure and Susie and the banshees were certainly releasing records at the same time but bauhaus delivered its premier single you know the you know the uh, you know aforementioned d bands didn't go full-on goth until 80 81 um, but the song also all rock masterworks you know bella Lugosi's dead you know 30 years man i mean it's just, it's, you know, it's just one of those songs that just kind of grabbed you by the boo-boo. So, uh, but anyway, and then, you know, of course, you know, the, the Haskins brothers and, uh, you know, Peter Murphy and Ash, they all went their separate ways. Peter Murphy went and did his thing, and the Haskins and Ash went and did Love and Rockets. And so without Bauhaus, we wouldn't have Love and Rockets. What do you know? Anyway, you're listening to Open Air Sonar. Our next band here, guys, we're almost there. We're almost to the edge here. But I've got two bands here that I'm going to lay out for you. The first one that we're going to dive into is the couple of boys from Ireland, U2. So this is I Will Follow from the 1981 release, Boy. Oh, wait, sorry. No, 1980. Oh, my God. My, see, I've been smoking weed already today, and it's getting out of hand. So this is I Will Follow from U2 from 1980's Boy. Keep with us.
So for that track, I thought I would give you guys the live cut from Red Rocks. Red Rocks, blah. But, um, which anyway, man, you know, fucking speaks for itself. You know, I think if there's any show in history or the world, you know, and I, time and, you know, money or you know, anything wasn't a factor, I think that that would have been the show that I would just love to have been in. You know, I've, I've always loved you 2 I've always followed them through, you know, everything. But uh, anyway, uh, that was I Will Follow from the 1980 release of Boy. Um, Bono actually wrote the song as a tribute to his mother, who unfortunately passed away when he was just 14 years old. Um, they play it at all their live shows. It's like the one song that they, you know, they always throw into their gig. But uh, it's one of my favorites. It was also one of my favorites when it made its appearance in the film uh, Last American Virgin. But uh, anyway... Moving on, kitties, we are now to the band that I consider to be the kings of the post-punk movement and really one of my all-time favorite bands of all time. Uh, this is Killing Joke, and this is Pilgrimage from the 1996 release, Democracy. Come back and let's pull the legs off this fucking thing.
So that was Killing Joke with Pilgrimage from their 1996 release of Democracy. Their follow-up album to the Pandemonium album, which was just fucking great. And, um, you know, after the Pandemonium tour, Jazz Coleman went to Sedona to, you know, decompress from, you know, touring and, you know, you know how you do. Um, and he was inspired from, you know, these Native American tribes and, you know, also Maui's from when he, you know, moved to New Zealand. And I think this album really has a lot of that in it. Um, but, you know, Bassist Youth had uh, free reign on this one, and, you know, which j- Jazz did not like, apparently. And apparently he didn't even like the album, which I don't know why. It's, it's amazing. But uh, so unfortunately, they ended up taking a, uh, a hiatus. And in 2003, they released the self-titled Yellow album, which was amazing in itself. You know, it featured Dave Grohl on drums, and, you know, it, it, it was just amazing. But if you get out there, please buy those records, by all means. And, um, and so I guess, you know, the post-punk era was defined by genocide in Cambodia, you know, civil wars in Central America, you know, the troubles in Northern Ireland, pollution, unemployment, and I think people were screaming for change. You know, uh, disco was dying, rock was boring. You know, everybody needed something new. <clears throat> Excuse me again. but um, And I think the best way I can describe this is never use the word normally. Try to keep that out of your sentences, okay? Because I think that's what the era of post-punk was trying to tell us, okay? So this show is dedicated to the memory of the late, great Paul Raven, who passed away in 2007. But uh, anyway, kiddies, I'm going to go ahead and cut out now with the 1991 release of The Stone Roses' I Want to Be Adored, which Q Magazine rated its number 32 in its greatest songs of all time out of 100. So way to go there, Stone Roses. So take care, kids. Remember to spade and neuter your gimps and eat your cereal with a fork. Take care, all.